0: times of rest, refreshment and abundance are blessings in your faith walk. But what about the times you find yourself in the hot, dry desert? Today on Turning Point, Dr. David Jeremiah returns to Psalm 63 and shares how King David walked with God through the desert of his life and how that is a blessing too. To introduce the conclusion of his message, a desert psalm, here's David.
1: Well, thank you for joining us. If you were with us yesterday, I know you want to hear the end of the story of Psalm 63, the desert psalm. These psalms teach us how to walk through life. And uh, you say, well, some of them are kind of dark. They begin that way. They truly do. I've mentioned many times that David's psalms begin with a sigh and end with a song. And uh that's kind of how life is, too. We have these difficult times we go through, and in the midst of it, we find that God is there, and as I've said often, God is enough. We praise Him, we worship Him, we see Him high and lifted up, and the problems that we experience fall into perspective. We'll get to part two in just a moment, but before we do that, a quick reminder that the resource for this month is a beautiful uh, padded cover gift book called Sleep on This, It contains 100 readings for you to read right before you go to sleep at night. There's a QR code on every off page that you can click on, and somebody will read it to you if you want them to. It'll come through your phone. Um, These readings are really helpful. And in a world where people continually are talking about how hard it is for them to sleep, here's something that might give you an edge up on how you deal with life every day. So ask for your copy of Sleep on This when you send your gift to Turning Point this month. Let's talk about Psalm 63. C.S. Lewis has written a wonderful expression on the Psalms called Reflection on the Psalms. If you enjoy reading the Psalms and you ever find the book by C.S. Lewis, it's worth having because he writes about the Psalms as no one else I have read. And he made this comment about David's hunger for God. He said, the poets in David's day knew far less reason than we do for loving God. They did not know that he offered them eternal joy, still less that he would die to win it for them. Yet they express a longing for God, for his mere presence, which comes only to Christians in their best moments. When we've been isolated by trouble or difficulty, then that hunger and that cry for God becomes so paramount. What a graphic picture the psalmist is painting for us in the early verses. The dry and thirsty land that surrounds him physically is the picture of his soul without God. He has lived long enough to discover that the world, even the palace, is a desert place of disappointment and discouragement and defeat and would not bring him pleasure. Someone has made this very valid analogy that Satan doesn't know anything at all about pleasure. His specialty is amusement. Only God knows anything about pleasure. How many of us have learned the hard way that when we've been seeking after pleasure, what we end up with is amusement? Pleasure comes from God. In fact, the psalmist writes in Psalm 1611, you will show me the path of life. In your presence is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. True pleasure comes from knowing God and knowing that we are known of God and being at rest in his presence. Then David makes a very important decision about God in this section. In verse 2, he says, So I have looked for you in the sanctuary to see your power and your glory. Now, in order to understand this, I have to fill in a little empty place about the story of David as he's fleeing from Absalom. The record tells us that as he was leaving the city, unknown to him, Abiathar and some of the priests, Zadok, had gone back into the sanctuary where. The Ark of the Covenant was kept, and without David's permission, they had put the iron bars through the rings, and they had lifted the Ark of the Covenant on their shoulders, and when they got out of the city and were crossing the Kidron Valley, David realized that they had taken the Ark of the Covenant from the city of Jerusalem, and they had brought it out into the wilderness where David was fleeing from his own son. Now, if you study the Old Testament, you know that the Ark of the Covenant was a very important piece of furniture in the tabernacle, for it represented the visible, tangible, almost touchable presence of God. When the Ark was stolen, Israel was in great disarray. The presence of God was symbolized by the Ark of the Covenant. And I don't know about you, but if I'm David, if ever there was a time in my life when I wanted the Ark of the Covenant going along with me into the wilderness, wherever I would go, this would have been the moment. I'll take all the help I can get, thank you. But I want you to read with me what happened from 2 Samuel chapter 15. Notice what it says. There was Zadok also and all the Levites with him, bearing the ark of the covenant of God. And they sat down the ark of God, and Abiathar went up until all the people had finished crossing over from the city. Then the king said to Zadok, carry the ark of God back into the city. If I find favor in the eyes of the Lord, he will bring me back and show me both it and his dwelling place. Therefore, Zadok and Abiathar carried the ark of God back to Jerusalem, and they remained there. Now, isn't that a strange thing? Would you have done that? I don't know if I would have, frankly, in the situation that David found himself in. I think I might have said, just bring the ark. We'll let it trail along with us wherever we go. We need the presence of the Lord. But David sent it back to the city because he knew first of all that's where it belonged and secondly David needed more than the token presence of Almighty God he needed the actual presence of Almighty God he sent the visible representation of the presence of God back with this statement in his heart If God wants me to be all right with this, I will be. And if he doesn't, I won't be. But what I need now is not the Ark of the Covenant. I need Almighty God himself to descend upon this encampment and be with me through this wilderness experience. How many of you have been there? You've gone through this experience and you don't need somebody to give you something to hang around your neck. You need Almighty God to be there with you in his presence in the midst of it. So he makes this decision and he sends the ark back and he goes out into the desert with the promise of God's presence. In the third verse of the Psalm, we see David's delight in God. He said, because your loving kindness is better than life, my lips shall praise you. David's life is hanging in the balance and yet he realizes that true life is only found in God. And he says to the Lord in his prayer, Lord God, you're better than life to me. Your loving kindness is better than life to me. How many of you know why God's loving kindness is better than life? It's better than life because it extends beyond life, doesn't it, as we know it here. You know, what a picture this is of the heart of David. Made a lot of mistakes in his life. He was a human leader. And yet, the one thing that is consistently true of him was that he was a man after God's own heart. And when the pressure was on, he grabbed hold of his relationship with God with both hands and he sought after God with all of his heart. During my illness, people asked me some interesting questions. Sometimes asked me if I was afraid. And I said, no, I was scared to death. (laughs) And that's the honest truth. A couple of people asked me if I cried and I wanted to tell them it was none of their business but that's not a godly thing to do. And up until a period of time after the procedure I could have said you know what I didn't cry. Kind of knew what was coming and God prepared me for it. But there was one day when I cried and I'm not happy about telling you about my tears but it serves a very important point here so let me tell you about it. It was Easter Sunday. Don and I were holed up in a hotel in Del Mar, California for the outpatient stem cell transplant program at Scripps Clinic. Probably the lowest time in the experience. just happened to be that weekend. And I was feeling lousy. But it was Easter. It was Easter Sunday. So I got up early. And I made my way out into the little living area. And I felt I'm going to sit down and turn on the television and find something to encourage me on this Easter Sunday. There was Easter music and great pageantry and worship, and I turned it on, and I started to watch it, and then almost without any knowledge that it was coming, I began to sob convulsively. I was embarrassed. Donna came in from the other room, and she said, are you all right? And I said, no, I'm not. I said, I want to be in church. I don't wanna be here. I don't belong here, I belong in church. And I realized that day how important that is to me. You say, well, Pastor Jeremiah, you're the preacher. I mean, you're supposed to be there. Oh, it's beyond that. And it's not just to preach. I long for the opportunity to worship God and to be with God's people and to realize the joy of being in the house of God. Desiring to be with him. Now, I know you can be with God without being in church, and I understand all of that, but there's something special about God's place with God's people, and especially on Resurrection Sunday. Amen? And I've vowed in my heart to get better as fast as I could. I think that's what David felt. Out there in the desert, he remembered the experiences in the tabernacle, worshiping with God's people. He remembered the great feast days and all the pageantry of lifting up praise to God. And as he sat there in that desert tent, his heart looked back over those years to that experience and he cried out for that time of intimacy with God, desiring God. Well, in the next few verses, David gives us some very important clues to what happens while we're in the desert and how we walk with God in the desert We've expressed his wanting God in the midst of this difficult time, but now we learn what we're supposed to do when we're with God in the desert, and we learn this from reading David's own words. First of all, he begins with this very important key, that when you're walking with God in the desert, you begin by praising him, verses four and five. Because your loving kindness is better than life, my lips shall praise you. Thus I will bless you while I live. I will lift up my hands in your name. My soul shall be satisfied as with marrow and fatness, and my mouth shall praise you with joyful lips. David begins his experience in the desert, separated from his kingdom, chased by his son, Wondering what's going to happen to him in this twilight of his life. And he says, the first thing I concentrated on was praising Almighty God. You say, that doesn't make sense. I didn't say it made sense. I just said he did it. And when you get into a situation, you discover that a lot of times the things that other people say don't make sense... (laughs) are the very things that God draws you to do. And how many of you know, when you begin to praise God, even in the desert experience, things begin to change in your own heart and in the matter of perspective. In fact, this whole psalm teaches us how David praises God. He tells us that as long as he lives, he's going to praise the Lord. And you almost have the sense in his note that he doesn't know how long he's gonna live. But he says, Lord, for how much life you give me, I'm gonna praise you. And in Psalm 104, verse 33, there's another echo of that very thought. I will sing to the Lord as long as I live. I will sing praise to my God while I have my being. In other words, Lord, whatever breath you give me, I'm going to give it back to you in praise. And if you go through this Psalm, it teaches you how to praise the Lord. There are seven different ways to praise God in the first six verses of Psalm 63. Let me show them to you quickly. First of all, we praise him with our lips. Verse three, my lips shall praise you. Then we praise him with our tongue. Thus will I bless you, verse four. Then we praise him with our hands. I will lift my hands in your name. And we praise him with our will. My soul will be satisfied. We praise him with our mouth, verse five. My mouth shall praise you. We praise him with our memory. When I remember you on my bed. And we praise him with our intellect when I meditate upon you in the night watches. Now, just look at that. With your lips, your tongue, your hands, your will, your mouth, your memory, your intellect in the midst of the desert experience, what do you do, friends? You praise God. You say, well, Pastor Jeremiah, how do we go about doing that? If you're not learning that, then we're not teaching very well. But I'll tell you something, you can learn to praise God in the midst of difficulty and it will make all the difference in the world, not only to God, but to you praising God. And then the next thing we learn that David did is in verses six and seven, he began to picture God. And I'm not talking here about visualization in the worst sense of the word, but notice what he says in verse six. When I remember you on my bed, I meditate on you in the night watches because you have been my help. Therefore, in the shadow of your wings, I will rejoice. David was not somebody to toss and turn at night fretting over things that were beyond his control and he was in a mess frankly but when insomnia drove sleep from his eyes he had one sure remedy you know what that was he would meditate upon god how many of you have ever had a trouble that's been so troublesome now let's just be real honest about this that you've lost just a little bit of sleep over it maybe it's been a child who's wayward or a business problem that you don't know what to do with or marriage issues or whatever, or, or sickness. I don't think ever lost a night of sleep until I got sick and then I didn't sleep for three nights in a row and I don't even don't know how to explain that. It just happened. Well, what David did when this thing happened was it says he remembered God on his bed and he meditated on him in the night watches. When he would wake up, he wouldn't fret and Turn around and wring his hands, but he would just begin to meditate on God and to remember God and to think about what God had done for him. Lewis Smedes is a wonderful book on hope. And in the book, one of my favorite authors has written these words. He said, A person who has the habit of hope also has the habit of remembering. Hope needs memories the way a writer needs notes. This is partly because hope depends so much on imagination or images of the future are sweepings from our remembrances of things past. If we expect to keep hope alive, we need to keep memory alive, happy memories of good things we hoped for that were fulfilled and grateful memories of bad things we survived. When we are going through a desert experience, men and women, one of the most helpful things we can do is to remember the way that God has helped us And to realize that the problems we face now are not a surprise to God, but in the midst of those problems, to look back over our shoulder and realize, hitherto he has helped us. And we have built in our memory bank some very important deposits of the things that God has done for us in the past, and we think back over them. And my friend, everyone has them. Everyone has them the things God has done for you in the past. I often think that when this giant of despair began to sweep over David in the night and woke him up and he couldn't go back to sleep, he began to think about another giant, a giant that he had faced many years before. This giant was nine feet, six inches tall, and as a young lad, he stood in front of him with five smooth stones, only one of which he really needed. And he saw Almighty God make him the champion over that giant and perhaps David reasoned in the night watches if God can help me overcome the Goliath of my youth he surely can give me what I need to get through the experience that I'm facing right now don't ever forget the things God does for you I keep telling you this if you keep a journal you will remember the things he does for you they'll become great fuel for your fire when you need it in the future Listen to the words of verse 7 again. Because you have been my help in the past, therefore, in the shadow of your wings, I will rejoice. Isn't that a great verse? Therefore, because you have been my help, there I'm just going to relax under the shadow of your wings. For you, God, are able to do what needs to be done. He... Praises God, then he pictures God in his life, and then finally he prays to God. Verse 8 My soul follows close behind you, your right hand upholds me. Literally, the text says, My soul clings to you, O God. How many of you know that when you go through a desert experience, if you're wired right spiritually, It forces you to grab hold of God in a way that you wouldn't any other way. Do you understand that when trouble comes, one of two things will happen. Let's just say for our visual picture that God is here and I'm here. When trouble comes, I must be very careful not to let the trouble get between me and God. Because what happens when I do that is the trouble and the pressure in the midst of this situation, if I'm here and God is there, the trouble pushes us apart. Isn't that true? But watch this. When trouble comes, even when I may not know why or how to deal with it, if I run to God and I cling to him and hold on to him with all of my heart, then the trouble won't be between God and me. The trouble will be in the outside of both of us and the pressure will push me tighter to him. Isn't that true? David said, when I was in the desert, my life seemed like it was falling apart. All I knew to do was to hold on to God and to pray to him. The last part of the psalm I won't deal with, just tell you this, that it has to do with David's waiting on God and it simply has to do with his reminding himself that God is going to deal with the problems that he fears he's going to take care of his enemies he's going to give him victory he's going to vindicate him ultimately David sees that now in his mind how many of you know that sometimes when you're in the midst of a problem when you cling to God he can almost give you kind of a premonition that everything's going to be all right. that he's going to take care of you you get that settled assurance in your heart And actually that is what happened because one day Absalom's armies went out against David's armies and the scripture says that Absalom's armies were defeated and that more of them were defeated by the forest than by the opposing army. And we may not understand that. And then of course you know the story of handsome Absalom riding his mule as fast as he can but he's got this huge head of hair and he rides under a terebinth tree and his hair is caught in the tree and he hangs between heaven and earth till Joab, David's general comes and takes his life against the wishes of David. And all of the trouble that started that was so serious is now over and David still has a broken heart, but the kingdom is back in his hands. How many of you know that the desert will come and I'm not a prophet of doom Even in light of what I've experienced, I am a very positive, forward-thinking person. Don't worry about the past. Just aggressively move into the future with all of your heart. But a realist also knows that there will be sometimes a bump here and there, a desert journey now and then. And wise is the man or woman of God who takes the Scripture as his resource book and recognizes that God does have for each one of us a desert psalm. Pack it in your rations. Put it in your special kit. And remember that when the desert time comes, God has preparation. He'll tell you what to do. Amen. I've been there and done that, and it's true. Hey, friends, we're going to be in Charleston, South Carolina, Uh, October the 6th and the 7th this fall. Very special event. We've never done anything quite like this before. It's a Friday night, Saturday morning conference. I'll be teaching and preaching from a book that is uh, going to be released that week called uh, The Great Disappearance. It's on the rapture. Two incredible days of Bible prophecy and wonderful music and special guests. We went online with this for the first time a a few days ago, and the first 24 hours it was online, almost half of the arena sold out. So uh, as I do this, some time has passed. I don't know where we are right now, but I hope you will make every effort to be with us in Charleston on October the 6th and October the 7th. And share with us the, the, the Word of God and what it has to say about these times in which we live. And you can get more information about this event at org, And I hope you will go there, and there you will find all of the buttons you need to push to get to the right place. All right, it's time for us to say our goodbye, and I want to thank you for listening today, because every day when we teach the Word, I have this feeling and this sense in my spirit that God is taking some portion of his word and depositing it in the heart of a special person who needs exactly what that passage says for their day. You may be that person. If so, uh, give thanks to the Lord for his care about you and for his word, and be sure to join us tomorrow right here on this
0: good station. The message you just heard originated from Shadow Mountain Community Church and senior pastor, Dr. David Jeremiah. If your faith is growing through this ministry, we'd love to hear from you. Write to Turning Point for God of Canada, P.O. Box 18098, RPO, Sawasan Delta, B.C., V4L2M4. Visit our website at davidjeremiah.ca slash radio or call 800-946-4300. Ask for your copy of David's book, Sleep on This, a nighttime devotional with biblical reflections to bring you peace and rest. It's yours for a gift of any amount. You can also stream more than 1,200 of Dr. Jeremiah's messages on demand on any screen with our streaming service, Turning Point Plus. For a monthly gift of any amount, visit turningpointplus.org for details. This is David Michael Jeremiah. Join us tomorrow as we continue the series, When Your World Falls Apart, on Turning Point with Dr. David Jeremiah. Are you searching for a way to begin each day filled with energy and joy? It starts by saying good night to restless sleep. In his book, Sleep On This, Dr. David Jeremiah provides nightly readings to help quiet our minds and calm our spirits. And when you donate $75 or more to Turning Point, we'll send you a special set that includes this book and material from the series, When Your World Falls Apart. Learn more at davidjeremiah.ca. That's davidjeremiah.ca. Take the young ones in your life on an unforgettable journey that will get them excited about the Word of God with the Airship Genesis Kids Study Bible. Then continue the adventure with monthly audio adventures on airshipgenesis.com. Plus, download the Airship Genesis mobile game where kids will travel back in time to the life of Jesus. Blast off with the young one in your life at airshipgenesis.com.
1: I read about a West Coast doctor who took an informal poll among his patients asking what one thing they desired more than any other. The answer for 87% of his patients was peace of mind. Now I interpret that to mean freedom from anxiety and worry, a reason to have hope instead of doubt. I wonder how many of the doctor's patients knew that Jesus told his disciples, my peace I give to you. Jesus gave His disciples and us a reason to have peace of mind, a reason to have hope instead of worry, just by knowing and trusting Him. It's ours just for the asking. And this is David Jeremiah, encouraging you to get on the road to new life. Discover God's perfect peace on Route 66. Route 66, driving the word home. Log on to Route66life.com. Start your journey home today.